0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Paula Lejeune, Paula was born as a conjoined twin, underwent more than 30 facial surgeries in her first 20 years of life, and lived in a home with an abusive father. Today, she shares about the self-esteem issues she battled as a result of her facial scarring and the abuse she experienced by her father. She also shares about how she has experienced God's faithfulness through her husband, who has always seen past her scars. Before we begin this week's conversation, I want to invite you to visit graceenoughpodcast.com and sign up to receive the monthly newsletter. The newsletter includes previous episodes, book and article recommendations, favorite quotes and scriptures, the occasional recipe, and most of all, an opportunity for me to connect with you. If you sign up now, you'll receive 10 scripture prayers to calm your heart. You can receive those by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com and signing up for the newsletter. Now let's drop into my conversation with Paula when God's love and adversity collide. Good morning, almost afternoon, Paula. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Amber, for the invitation to come. And since I've had the invitation, I've gone back and actually listened to some of your podcasts because I had never met you. And I am just honored that you picked me to be on today. Oh, thanks so
1: much. It's such a joy when you hear that people have listened and hopefully, you know, that something resonates because there's just so many stories out there that... God really does use in our lives to encourage us. And you're going to share your story with us today, which I'm very thrilled to hear. And so introduce yourself and your family
0: and tell everybody a little bit about what you do. My name is Paula, which you said Lejeune. I've been married to Clifton for 32 years. I have two daughters. The oldest is Eden. She's 28 years old, and she is a second grade school teacher, has been for six years. And she's been married for four years to Hunter, who is a CPA. And they have just had their first baby. He's three months old, Lincoln John. And that is my new favorite hobby. <laughs> He's my, so cute. Uh, He's thank so cute. you. My youngest daughter, Erin, is 25. And she has been a registered nurse for two years, I think. And she's been married for 11 months, fixing to celebrate her first anniversary to oh. Jacob who's a paramedic and I am fortunate that both of my girls live in my neighborhood and work in our city and Cliff and I have pastored a Jesus worship center in Jennings for 20 over 26 years
1: so awesome
0: and so both of my girls my sons-in-law are very involved in our church and uh I'm just very blessed to have family nearby and involved, and it's it, our church is a team uh, effort.
1: I love it because one of my, I mean, just dreams is oh, let my kids live close because yes. don't, oh, yeah, I
0: pray. I know
1: well, and we don't live close to either one of our families. We did early on, but uh, and it was a big decision to move. But I mean, work sometimes just causes wow. that to happen. But oh, I mean, you definitely give up something when you leave your family. It's, yes. it's not easy, particularly when grandkids come along, right? Right. <laughs> and I'm sure your daughter appreciates the help. So She
0: does. She does.
1: Absolutely. Well, when we're talking about your story, adversity is a word that really describes your life from the get go. And so share a little about your birth, And just the adversity that you and your mom faced.
0: Okay. I was born a conjoined twin. I am 57. So 57 years ago, they didn't have ultrasound and all the technology available today. So my mom, the medical staff had no clue what was coming. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were born when we were born, they discovered I was a Siamese twin, and we were joined at the chin and neck, and I was born in the kinder clinic, and my twin had apparently died somewhere in between the first and second trimester. and the dead baby was poisoning me as well as my mom. So by the time my mom was in labor, she uh, describes like having dozens of boils all over her body. <sighs> And so she was very critical, and so was I. And so the the doctor in this clinic, it wasn't even a hospital, had to pick who to save because Mm -hmm. we both needed a lot of attention. And so I had a sister who was 18 months older, so the doctor decided to save my mom, which I believe was the correct decision. So during the stabilization of my mom, he sent a nurse to check on me and she reported back that I had stopped breathing and, you know, I was basically dead. And so he knew he had made the right choice. Mm. So when he was finished stabilizing mom, he came over to, I guess, you know, do his report, uh, a death certificate. But uh, I always say, I guess God knows CPR because I was breathing. I had a pulse. I was fully alive. And so then they had to start redoing and deciding what they were going to do with me. So they sent me to New Orleans to a charity hospital.
1: Well, and so I'm interested to know when they sent you to New Orleans, this whole time, your sister is still attached to you, correct?
0: Correct. Now she was dead, but yes. Right, but she's still attached. Absolutely, yes.
1: And then when you were transferred, your mom stayed back at the kinder care, or did both of you go?
0: No, my mom had to stay. Or kinder clinic. Yes, my mom had to stay. So it was a grandmother that came with me.
1: Wow. Yeah, what a beginning. I mean, there's so many questions I could ask there, but I want to move on into a little bit of childhood. And with that, being medically fragile, a lot of times comes to a childhood filled with a lot of surgeries and things like that. And so... Tell us a little bit about your childhood years. You know, what were they like?
0: It was a lot of time in the hospital because of where we were joined, uh, the chin and the neck. When they separated us, that left a gaping hole in my chin Mm. and uh, they took all the, not just the flesh, but the bone, everything. So they had to make my chin from a rib. Wow. And so my chin bone, which I know you're looking at me, but the chin bone is made from a rib and that first bone graft did not take. And so that it fell apart at home. So there was an emergency surgery where they had to take a rib from the other side. So that just tells you a little bit about how many scars I've had. I have, (laughs) I've had over 30 surgeries, but anyway, they did the second rib, and that one took. So they were just trying to get me functioning because until they could, uh, I couldn't eat on my own. So I had a, a feeding tube directly in my stomach, yeah. which creates another scar. And then they also realized that we shared tongues. I have both tongues, and that the doctor took and sewed down the middle, and because of having two tongues, which your tongue is a muscle. Yeah. They really felt like I would never be able to speak because you have to learn to use both both muscles. I just say, I have to watch what I say (laughs) twice as much as everybody else.
1: (laughs) I love that. Well, and so some of those surgeries didn't happen until teenage years. Right. Because
0: they had to be done as I grew so once the, the emergency surgeries were done, then it was as I grew, which meant I was in school. So surgeries were done during Christmas break, summer. So a lot of my free time was spent in the hospital, which meant vacations you know, that we couldn't go on and holidays where I was in the hospital while the rest of my family was at home. Wow. And at yeah. that time... Children under 12 weren't allowed in the hospital. So, my interaction with my siblings was waving through a hospital window.
1: Well, and you said you have an older sister, but at that time, did you also have another sibling?
0: Yes, I have a sister that's, uh, well, 18 uh, my months. Oldest. And then I have a sister 18 months younger.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So, that's really stressful.
0: Yes. But I have a total of four sisters, not counting the one that died.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Well, so tell me, did you grow up in a Christian family? Uh, I would, I grew up in a pastor's family, a pastoral family, but I would not describe it as a Christian family because I believe a Christian family should portray the fruit of the Spirit,
1: mm. and
0: that was not shown a lot in our home. There were good times. I'm not going to, you know, it was not all bad, Right, but- uh, My my father was a pastor. He actually had grew up in church, and he and my mom left the church whenever uh, before I was born. In fact, my dad had has told me he's passed away now, but he told me several times he felt like I was a judgment for him for leaving the church, which oh. add that up to the, uh, <laughs> the other list of things that would cause low self-esteem.
1: Absolutely.
0: But they had, be- they got, they started going to church again when I was three. And then when I was, um, uh, seven, my dad became pastor at a small church here in Jennings, which my husband and I now pastor, but, uh, my dad was very abusive Uh, He couldn't be abusive as much to me when I was younger because of the the damage he could have done. But as I got older, just the meaner he got. And it's not just spanking, because I do know the difference between a spanking and abuse. I have two grown children. That's right. But uh, when you have to hide scars, that's abusive. Mm. And it wasn't just physical abuse. It was emotional and mental abuse, like for instance, uh, leaving us with a gun and telling us he's going to kill himself because we didn't agree with something and then calling hours later and making us beg for him to come home. But at the time you couldn't, people were not as vocal as they are now. Mm-hmm. So we didn't share that with anybody and we had to put on a face to go to church. in public but my dad was not against humiliating us in public now he would not hit us as much in public but we really i had no safe space school was my safe spot
1: yeah which is so true for a lot of people i mean i think that's i don't want to say a lot of people that's not fair there are children who even during this pandemic you know i've thought about wow i mean school is their safe place and now they don't have that. And it is very heartbreaking when you look at it from that perspective. But it sounds like the same things, the same type of abuse was happening to your sisters as well. Is that correct to assume? Absolutely. Yes. And so if I can dig a little bit there, I mean, how did your mom handle that? Was she being abused as well?
0: She was, and she was scared to leave. Mm -hmm. I I think she was worried about supporting herself and five children. And uh, she also was worried about what would happen if she left. Mm. We would beg her to leave. Yeah, But by the time she did leave him, we were all married except for my youngest sister. And she actually waited till my dad was in a different country on a missions trip to pull that trigger. And I mean, that's a whole nother story I could be on a reality show (laughs) because my mom (laughs) left my dad and two weeks later she was divorced and remarried. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's. So that was a whirlwind uh, of emotions, of changes in our family. And uh, it was just a crazy time. Well, and, you know, I think about The fact
1: that he was pastoring a church and we are so much more aware now of the secret lives that people can lead, but it still never ceases to amaze me. Like, how did we not know? Or did we know when we didn't pay attention? And so my question to you is, did you ever get the feeling that people in your congregation were like, what in the heck is he doing? Because it sounds like he pastored at this church for a long time.
0: Yes, he pastored for 25 years, and now we've pastored it for 26. So I some of the people did know, but I believe the anointing flows down. And so there were a lot of abusive people in our church. Mm. So when we became pastor, our church was running about 120. And my husband and I joke about getting it up to 50. But a lot of those people had to leave because there was a lot of immorality in leadership because my parents were immoral.
1: Yeah. And so when did you personally decide, despite all that's going on, I believe that Jesus is my savior. He is the one that can redeem me and I don't want to say set me free from abuse because the reality is sometimes we're not rescued from our circumstances but from hopelessness for sure.
0: Right. The furthest back I can remember, I was about 7 years old and I remember being at an altar and praying and asking God to help change my life. Mm. And There was always a time in the surgeries where you had to, when I went in to go to surgery, I had to leave my mom Mm -hmm. and I was all alone and, uh, several surgeries were done in Christian hospitals. Mm. And so when they would will you in the, the op room, there were scriptures taped to the ceiling. And I remember reading those scriptures and just thinking, you know, that's the kind of God that I want to serve because children get their view of God from their fathers. So often so that's so true. I, I did go back and forth to where I believe that God was waiting to punish me for something wrong mm-hmm. to know he really does love me and he wants to rescue me. Mm-hmm. But it it just, it was a process over years where I had to realize there was something wrong with my dad and there's nothing wrong with God.
1: Mm. Yes. Yes. It's, and I mean, we can even attribute it sometimes to what we see in our mother too. I know personally I struggled so much and still do at times with, well, I can lose your love. If I don't perform a certain way, then I don't, I mean, there. Yes, that goes along with earning it, but for me, it was more the fear of losing it. Right. And so it's interesting how that dynamic can work, and how so many times people can turn away from God because of what they've experienced. And it's amazing that that is not what you chose to do. To the point that you end up, you know, as a you're a teenager. We all know as a tween and a teen, you just get ridiculed even when you've f- nothing may be right. wrong with you, right? Like, right. you're like, um, despite it, nothing going on physically, you don't feel like you still get made fun of. Right. And so what were some of the things that you look back on now and you see really affected what you believed about yourself, what you believed about? God, relationships, all of that, as a result of the way you got teased um, from all of the scarring and stuff?
0: I had to get really comfortable with people staring at me, which I don't know that I've ever really gotten fully comfortable with that. Uh, you know, I remember a lot of times walking into a room and just doing my best to hide somewhere. Mm. The first days of school were always very... I was always very anxious during those times the night before school would start, which I know because my kids went through some of that, just the anxiety and anticipation of the first day. But I just would have to psych myself up because if I could get through that first day and make a few friends, then I could get through the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And But in reality, instead of getting easier going into college, was actually worse because Mm -hmm. every semester you have a different group of people you're with in every class. Mm -hmm. And so I remember several nights before that first day of college crying and thinking, I'm going to quit. I'm not Mm going to go through with this, but at that point, no one in my family had a degree. That was one of the things I realized I can't change the scars that I can change other things about myself. I can learn to fix my hair. I can learn to dress better and I can get an education because we were also very poor. Oh, so yeah. people in the community would drop off bags of clothes to our house. Because All growing it felt- up. Yes, yeah. so I remember days getting up for school and digging through those trash bags, trying to find something to wear and putting it on and wearing it to school and ironed. So that added to the, the kids teasing because right. I did, I looked odd and I didn't dress well. My yeah. clothes didn't always fit, but I learned how to take control of the things I could change. And just to make a friend, uh, I did pick up a bad habit of people pleasing yeah. that took me into being pastor for, you know, years before I learned how to put boundaries and stop doing that. Right. Well, and that's
1: the thing too, you were still going undergoing several surgeries during your teen years.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, every summer and Christmas bright And so, so then you would come back into school. with Yes, with fresh scars, bright okay. scars that unless I just wore a paper bag, I, they showed. And so I was very, very self-conscious and would pray before I'd go to bed for God to let me be normal when I woke up in the morning. I don't even know what normal is, but let me be normal hmm. tomorrow. And, you know, it didn't happen. And as I grew, I realized I can't control everything. But I, again, I, I think I'm repeating myself, but I took control of what I could change. My room was always clean. My clothes were always done and ironed.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's something that I am curious about is, did you you ever have anybody in your life that kind of helped keep you going? Because when home is not your safe place, it sounds like getting control of whatever you could helped spur you on and that is a people-pleasing thing that's also you know a lot of people will get depressed and then there's other people who are like i'm just going to be the best at everything i can and that's how i'm going to deal with the pain i'm experiencing did you ever have any mentors or was there somebody at your church that kept you grounded
0: in god or was it just that you you kind of just pressed on there was no one part. My mom was one that pushed me when I would tell her I was going to quit college. because yeah. I was So you were
1: close with her, even though yes. she was,
0: yes. Even though she knew of the abuse and did nothing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she did push all of us to, mm-hmm. you know, to become better. And she ended up owning her own business and, and doing well for herself before she passed away a few years ago. But, uh, My sisters, my, especially my older sisters would, I mean, we were a team and Mm. when we would go into school or places and they felt like people were staring at me or being rude, you know, they would make me want to climb under a chair because they were, they were very defensive (laughs) for me. So I think all my life, God put someone to be my ally. Right. But it was different people up until my husband.
1: Oh, yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit for sure, because, you know, you've said like your deepest longing during that time, and, and, you know, maybe it was up until you met your husband, was just to be removed almost or to be free from all of it. And so during those um, long years of the surgeries and the scarring, you know, how did you really see God's provision and him coming alongside you when you met Clifton?
0: Well, my parents had given me permission to date when, when I was 15 and I really didn't think anyone would ask, Mm. but God surprised me. And, and I did have dates. Uh, My husband will tell you quite a few Mm -hmm. because I think he stalked me. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) when I met him, Really met him. I think I knew about him, but I met him when I was 19 and he was 14. And before I get judged, he looked older. (laughs) In fact, uh, he came to know the Lord whenever he was 14. And when he was 15, he decided he knew he wanted to be a minister and he decided he wanted to go minister at the Parish jailhouse, okay. and he walked in and told the jailer, "I want a minister in the prison," and they let him up without checking an ID. So, he oh my was gosh, like, are
1: you serious? Like that's so unheard of now.
0: Yes, fifteen <laughs> years old. He's like, oh my goodness, I am in the jail. <laughs> And he They were probably to, like,
1: what's this kid going to do? We're not, we're not worried about him.
0: But they had no clue. He was only 15 because he looked oh. 19 or 20. So he tells the story. It makes me kind of sound like, you know, I'm after children, but I mean, he looked older. So anyway, he asked me out and I just laughed. I was like, you don't have your driver's license. I'm not driving anybody around on a date. And <laughs> So I think God helped me have self-esteem and not settle. But we date when he got his driver's license, I let him take me on a date. But we really just became friends. And he would tell me often, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry you. And I had such low self-esteem. I was like, okay, there's something wrong with him that he would like me. Mm. He's got a problem because... I didn't like me. So if anybody else liked me, then there was something wrong with them. Wow. And we became extremely close my last year of college because of surgeries and stuff. I had to take off. It took me longer to finish college than just the four years. So my last semester was his first.
1: Okay. And, and you all went to the same university? Yes. And stayed friends this whole time, even though really you were probably about four years apart in school or five. Yes,
0: but we went to the same church. Right, the whole time. Yes. So in college, we were able to hang out more. Yeah. And uh, just one day I was talking to my mom about him. And I realized that, you know, I was always looking for someone in dating that would look at me past the scars, because you can tell when someone's talking to you what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I would go home and say, you know, he didn't see me, he was staring at me the whole time, staring at the things that were wrong. And so after that semester, after spending three months with Clifton, more than once a week, I realized that when I was with him, he saw past those scars so well, I would forget I had them. I wow. felt like I was normal when I was with him.
1: Yeah. And that's, do you feel like that's, I mean, that was really the first time in your life? That Absolutely. That maybe, I mean, cause what about with your sisters? I mean, your sisters had always been with you. So they,
0: no, I felt normal with them because right. I mean, we, we played, we fought, we got in trouble together. My parents did not treat me differently because there was something wrong with me. I think that's what helped me talk and everything. That was a plus for my parents. I was never treated like a handicapped person. In Mm -hmm. fact, I never even heard the word applied to me till I started college because I was considered handicapped. The state paid for my education.
1: Okay. Cuz
0: my parents had not saved up any money and I really wanted to go to college. So from the
1: time you met Clifton, if you can recall this, to the time you guys actually got married. How many years do you know that he had been six. like
0: six? <laughs> six, okay, steadily pursuing me. I mean, there probably has not been a day that has gone by that we but I mean before cell phones that he has not said You're beautiful. He would leave me notes on my car. He would date other girls and ask them, have you ever heard of Paula Lorman? And then he would get upset because they would break up with him. And they were like, he was, you were all he wanted to talk about. We didn't want to go out with a guy talking (laughs) about another girl. That's so
1: awesome though, because I mean, it's really hard to question someone's love when you hear something right. like that. And, it, you know, you're you're right. You still struggle with that when you have these self-esteem issues that have followed you around your whole life.
0: Right. Yeah. Yes. And the notes now, the the letters that he wrote while we were dating, and even after we got married, uh, I have some of them enlarged and antiqued, and they're over our fireplace in our bedroom. Wow. How precious.
1: And you all have been, tell me again, you said at the beginning, you've been married for how long now? 32 years. 32 years. And so how did, how did you get to the point where it was, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to serve in this church that we grew up in that you obviously had a lot of history with?
0: Well, my parents, asked us to take the church for a few months. We had no... Was your husband a pastor at this point? No, we were just serving in my dad's church.
1: Okay. But Uh, he... Were you all out of college at that point?
0: Yes, we were married. Okay. And they had asked us... We actually had our oldest child by that time. I think we had been married seven or eight years. And uh, my husband was minister. We were both very active in my dad's church, but we, we would also go out and speak for other churches. And my parents kept after us for a few months to take the church and give my dad a break. And we had no clue why they were persistent. It was not what we wanted. And during that six months two things happened simultaneously. One, uh, some of the fruit of our labor started to come in. People began attending uh, through our Bible studies and God just gave us such a burden for our church and our city. Mm. And also in that time, both of my parents had been having an affair and those affairs came out to us. It didn't become public. But it became known in the family, and we realized that we were a cover, but yeah. also that my dad was not going to be able to come back and take it back. Even yeah. though he tried, it was it, he was he never stopped being mean till he died. You know, there was just a, a lot of opposition from my dad after all this came out. But God, we knew we were called we knew we were we thought it was maybe just for the transition right. to the next pastor but 26 years later we're still here
1: what ke- what do you think kept you serving in your dad's church as an adult even though you knew that he was really a fraud
0: i think i was like my mom i didn't know where else i would go mm. And the thought of not being able to associate with my family because he made it clear several times that if we left we could not have anything it was almost cultish if I can the church
1: the church at that time
0: was not the church more my dad more Your dad. my dad my dad's uh, his leadership style was I gotcha and he was very charismatic like when people met him, uh, you know, they they still come up to me and say, I remember your dad. He helped me. Uh, he was right to all the wrong people.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask because I know, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what you're talking about because I've not lived that reality, but I know the story of this person gave all their good to people out here right. and at home we received everything that was painful would you say that's true yes yeah
0: yes in fact at his funeral that his best friends at the time that spoke we didn't know who he was
1: wow that is incredible
0: so my dad didn't he had a few long-term friends but if they opposed him then he didn't have anything to do with them again
1: and so what was it like taking over the ch- the church that you grew up in, but you also were growing up with the pastor, and then you slowly start seeing change and health and people start being exposed? And I mean, now you're 26 years in, but what, what was it like those first four or five years?
0: It was very scary. And Mm -hmm. it was a huge learning curve. Yeah. Uh, God, that is where I started having mentors who -hmm. were healthy mentally. And God just ordered our steps where uh, just we had a fabulous pastor that became our pastor in that time. And so we we no longer had to figure things out for ourselves. Mm. We would call him and he would say, Okay, this is the next thing you need to do. And since that time, we have never been out from under the covering of a pastor. Even though we are a pastor. Right. We have all our pastor passed away three years ago, but before we knew he was going to pass. He was an elder and had yeah. health, started having health problems. So we put that pastor in place that our next pastor now, he was already ready to step in that role before our last, because we never wanted to be out from undercover and be left figuring things out.
1: I mean, even just the accountability of it. Yes, absolutely.
0: Vital. Just the wisdom of a pastor who's pastored longer than we have and dealt yeah. with you know, larger congregations and, and even worst case scenarios than we were going through. Just having that wisdom is priceless.
1: That's absolutely right. Well, you do, as we kind of start closing out here, you have written a book, un Tale, And you told me earlier that the reason why you really wrote it is because there's a story that you kind of share when you speak to groups, um, and people would ask, do you have that in book form? Tell us a little bit about the book in hopes that by the time this airs, it will be available for purchase.
0: Yes, I am in the process of getting it available for sale on Amazon, but the book, An Unfairytale, which may or may not be changed by the time uh, it goes to Amazon because of a conversation with Lisa Whittle, is a, a biography of my life written in a fairy tale form mm. so that children can understand what it's like to grow up being different. And it's not just a story, a, a biography, but it's about taking control of the things you can change in your life and not settling just because you're not like everybody else.
1: Mm
0: because it's the little things that you do either take control of and and accomplish throughout your life that determine your future. And I dated guys that wanted to fix me, who now I look back on if I would have married them, my life would have been, I would have been miserable, even though I had a mate and God helped me, just my relationship with God helped me to make good choices even though I couldn't control a whole lot of my childhood and the things that were happening, I could control my reaction and what I did. So this really is an unfair tale going right yeah. <laughs> because it ends very well. Yeah, And God has blessed me with a phenomenal marriage. I have a marriage I've never seen. I have a family, my relationship with my kids, which because of how I grew up, my husband and I both tell people, if you want to know who we are, don't ask the community. Don't even mm-hmm. ask the people in our church. Ask our kids. Wow. We want you to ask our kids.
1: That's a, and that's bold. And it says a lot about your character that you would say that's what we want.
0: Yes. We've, we actually travel and do marriage seminars also. Yeah. And there have been a few times where we've put our kids up on the platform and let the audience ask questions. Like, we're not awesome. scared. <laughs> and we've so had awesome. a pastor say, y'all are really brave to do that. But we just want to live a life from the inside out that the we don't have to hide things.
1: Well, and that's the thing. I, I, I think about something like that. And let's say your one of your kids did get up there and said something that kind of shocked you or surprised you that authenticity is still what you want, right? Because if you don't know, you can't change. And if you're that afraid, it probably means the conversation needs to be had.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And so for the woman who may be walking through adversity right now and listening, how would you encourage her that her current circumstance does not have to be her future
0: just through 57 years of living i would say this is what i had to do ditch the victim mentality mm. i was a professional at throwing my own pity party but victimization allows other people to be c- in control of your life mm. and uh, because victims can only react so i would tell that woman wow. take a long hard look at your life and decide which things are in your ability to change and -hmm. start working on those things because right choices eventually bring out right results. Mm -hmm. But doing the wrong thing will will definitely lead you on the wrong path. Mm -hmm. And uh, just the story of my life that I couldn't change my scars, but I could change how I looked other than that. I could change my education. I could pray and ask God, which as a last story, my dad, a year before Cliff and I began dating exclusively, he was angry with Clifton over something else. And he had told me if he caught me talking to Clifton, that he would throw me out of the house. I wouldn't have a home. And I knew if I lived on my own, I couldn't finish college. I didn't have a good job. And so I was just insistent on making it work. I was going to move out as soon as I graduated from college. Yeah. But uh, so a year later, and you already know how abusive my dad was. Cliff and I started talking and we wanted to date and we knew we would end up getting married. Mm -hmm. And so, but I was submitted to my pastor because I knew that was right in the word of God. And so I was twenty. Four years old by this time and so i told clifton i'm gonna go ask my dad who is my pastor Mm. if i can date you and if he blows up which he did that on a daily basis if he gets angry then it's not god's will for us to be married but if he says yes go ahead so I, when I asked him, when I worked up the nerve and asked him, my dad just looked at me and smiled and said, "Absolutely, go ahead. Yes, you can date him." Wow. So I knew that this was God's will for my life. Mm-hmm. And but I didn't. God helped me in the midst of chaos, in the midst of living in a terrible situation, to make right choices and not to run from home just because it was a bad place. I made the best of it until I could get out. And, and I made a right decision in who I married.
1: Wow. Wow. What a testimony, Paula. Well, if women or any listener wants to connect with you, uh, just whether to be encouraged or questions or just follow along in, on your journey, where can they best do that?
0: I'm on Instagram as Paula Lejeune, L-E-Paula, of course, is spelled the same, last name yeah. L-E-J-E-U-N-E. I'm on Facebook as same name. My email is m T-O-O-E-M-O-M at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. Well, Paula, thank you so much for encouraging us and sharing your story today. Thank you so much for the
0: invitation. It was nice meeting you.
1: What resonated with you from Paula's story? One of the many things that resonated with me was her commitment to change the cycle of self-esteem struggles for her two daughters. Will you share it with me on Instagram at GraceEnoughPodcast underscore Amber? And don't forget to visit GraceEnoughPodcast.com and sign up for the monthly newsletter.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast.